0: Welcome to the Midlands Young Life Podcast. Here, we hope to post talks from our leaderships, Leader Weekends, and much, much more. I hope these talks will encourage you to grow deeper in your faith with Christ and make Him known in your community. Thanks for joining us. This is talk number two of four from Pat Goodman as he addresses our leadership in the 2020 Leader Weekend. Hope you enjoy Us and give us, you know, told us your name, and we're just really thankful. But um, I, I, I know this sounds funny, but I'm not a real big social media kind of guy, and I just learned recently that texting is not social media. It's just something that we do, and so um, I learned to text. You know, I don't know a couple years ago, but I, there's people like me in the world. And I want to read you something about an elderly couple who, literally, not too long ago, just learned to text message on their cell phones and. Crazily the wife in this couple was a very romantic type person and her husband was more a kind of a no-nonsense kind of guy And so I just want to read you what happened between the two of them. It's kind of cute says one afternoon while shopping The wife decided to send her husband a very romantic text message. So she wrote him She said you can imagine this older couple learning the text. She said if you are sleeping send me your dreams If you are laughing send me your smile If you're eating, send me a bite. If you're drinking, send me a sip. If you're crying, send me your tears. I love you. To which her husband replied and texted back, I'm on the toilet. Please advise. (laughs) That'd be pretty cool. I thought, who would ever do that? So, this morning, let's review just for a minute. Last night, we talked about the reality, the power of desire, correct? Yes. And that it's real and it's here to stay. And it's here to stay because God Almighty is a God of desire. He wasn't obligated to create. He created us because he first imagined us and then he actually wanted us. And he created what he wanted. And he created us because he was the one to be wanted the most and created us to want him the most. That that is when life and reality works best. That that connection is unparalleled. And that Jesus himself used this in his last big message, quote, sermon, before he goes to the cross. He gives a picture. And the picture is a picture of what? A picture of a what and a what? Vine and a branch. And one of the things he's trying to do through this, and uh, I would highly recommend that you maybe build that John 15 into your souls a little bit, was to give them a picture of reality, of who's who and what's what. That he is not who we are, we are not who he is, but he is everything we need. That there is no more significant relationship you will ever have in your existence, and I mean this, other than your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you want to be good with other relationships, be great at that relationship. If you want to have a chance for a marriage that can flourish and work, be focused on that relationship with Jesus Christ, because here's what he'll make you do. He loves you enough. He's not going to let you stay the way you are. You will have to grow. You will have to change. And he will inevitably help us face the realities of this life. Because in this world we will have trouble. There are little things called sucker shoots, right? That want to rob and take away, if you will, the nutrients, the reality, the power, the encouragement, the resource that only the vine can bring. And so I try to encourage you to understand that there's really no other stream if you're thirsty. You can look at a lot of other places, but there really is no other place to go. And I just encourage you to think about that in your own journey. Do you trust this? Will you lean into this? Because it's of value to you. You will find ways to take care of it. You can read how-to books, but I'm just telling you, if you just made a commitment, most of the time in our life, we think, i got to do these big things. What if you did little things over a long period of time? You know what you get if you do that? Big things. You saved a little money over 40 years you actually have a lot of money. But a lot of people go, I want to just save a lot of money. Why don't you start with the little and do that over a long period of time, you will have a lot. If you start doing little habits every day. Over time, it's called compounded impact or compounded interest. It matters. So I would ask you this. Now, what are your big habits? What are your little habits? Most people, this is why the scriptures talk about little a lot. He who has faith like a what? Mustard seed. Unless you have faith like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of God. If you're faithful in what? Little. You'll be faithful in much. This is just kind of the way life works. Okay? Good. That makes sense? Please say yes. 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 Oh, good. Good, good, good. Okay. So today, here's what we're going to do. I want to, um, we don't have as much time this morning, but I want to lay a framework again because remember last night we talked about wisdom. Wisdom is conforming to reality. It's conforming to the way things have actually been created to function. We do not get the vote on how things have been created to function. We only get a vote on whether we're willing to conform to the way things were created to function. And when we do, we're called people who are actually skilled at living. This was the Hebrew mind. Wise people look for how things work best and conform to that and they're skilled at living, or skilled at business, or skilled at agriculture, or skilled in loving, whatever it is, okay? So, you know, I mentioned last night that not everyone who starts this journey of faith ends it. And um, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, it says this. These, speaking of all these people of faith, not only lived in faith, they actually died in faith. At the end of their journey, they didn't just live for a while in faith, but when they got to the finish line, they actually said, man, it was worth it all. This guy, Dave, I told you guys about last night they'd meet. I'll never forget this really, really quickly. Um, Dave was in my Young Life Club, and it was kind of crazy, because as we grew, he kind of looked up to me, and then we were buddies, and then I started looking up to him. And I went on this three-year journey with him and his family, with a number of others, but I was right in the inner circle. And she was dying of a, a really horrible brain tumor that they couldn't do anything with other than slow its growth. And I remember one day he goes, he asked me, this, he goes, hey, how are you doing with your journey with God? And, you know, most of the time when people ask me that. It's like, why are you asking me that? Because you're probably doing great and you think I'm doing stinky, right, or something like that. But not with Dave. He goes, Pat, I just wish. And he meant this seriously. And I didn't, it wasn't a guilt thing or better thing. He goes, I just wish you could know God the way I do. I go, Wow. He goes, because I've had to go places I've never been in my life. And I remember the day that we um, finally got the prognosis from Johns Hopkins Hospital. We live in Baltimore, and he said, uh, the doc said, Dave, there's nothing more we can do. And we were going up the escalator, and we were all just kind of like, man, what do we do now? And Dave stopped. He goes, come here, everybody, come here. He goes, look, either God's in this or he isn't. Either he is or he isn't. And I know that he is. So the last trip Dave and I ever took together was at Sharptop. I took him on the last journey. It was in September. He died that January. And I was supposed to give this little talk on hope on Sunday morning. And I'm thinking, of all the people that need to give this talk, it's not me. I'm just going to give a talk on some thoughts from Scripture that would be great, you know, because of the Scriptures. But I said, Dave, would you do this? So we're at the Adult Guest Lodge. I wouldn't recommend doing this at Sharptop. And Dave said, you know, I'd really like a cigar. I go, like, dude, if you want a cigar, we're smoking a cigar, like, right here. So we got on the back deck of the sharp top adult guest lights. I don't even know if you're allowed to do this, but at that point it's like, nobody's going to tell a guy with cancer he can't have a cigar. So <laughs> we did that. And, uh, you know, Dave was at this point where he literally needed help, like buckling his pants, and he couldn't walk very well. And so Sunday morning I said, hey, i got a buddy of mine. I'd really like to share some thoughts with you about hope. And Dave, no kidding, I promise you. He got up, he was sitting down, and he got up, and he couldn't walk. So he's literally dragging his leg like this. And he, He held up his Bible and he couldn't see it. So he put it down. Let me tell you what Dave said. This is the greatest talk I've ever heard. He looked at the room just like that. He goes, Jesus loves you. Jesus Christ. feel sorry for Dave they just wanted to know that Jesus loved them as much as he loved him and when their life got jacked up or the heat got turned up they wanted to know then it was the end of their run if I could end like that I could face anything just a few months after that Dave's the one that said it's all real So I guess I want to ask you, how do you finish like that? Do you guys want to finish? Or is this just a season? Are you playing games? Or is this for real? Because I want to tell you, your life's for real. It's a big gift, right? If you have a chance to experience more beauty than you'd ever imagine, even in the midst of heartache. Because here's what I know, life's going to shake. God doesn't shake. And guess what? He even allows you to ask, God, where are you? How long, Lord? Read the Psalms. Half the Psalms are laments. God can handle it. Don't pretend you're not struggling when you struggle. Don't pretend you believe something when you don't. You don't have to. Do you ever think that sometimes honest doubt is a step of faith? When you don't quit, it's like, I don't get it, but I'm not leaving. And maybe in time, in time, God gives clarity, but sometimes you have to go through things to get the clarity, don't you? So don't be a person who pretends, because you really can't anyway. Because here's what you'll do if you do. You'll live one life in public, and you'll live another one in private. And I would say your private life is probably your most real life. So I want to talk this morning briefly some frameworks of really um, how do we get formed and get clear about our identity at the deepest level of our being. Because the real question you and I have to answer is getting clear not just about who we are, but whose we are. You will only know who you really are when you are definitely clear about whose you are. And so I want to um, ask you a question this morning. This is a, uh, what would you call this? This isn't hard, so anybody just please. It's a pipe, good. What do you guys know about a pipe? Don't, this isn't hard, just quickly for the sake of time. It's plumbing, good. <laughs> what do you, also, you know about a pipe? What else does it do? It connects, it transfers stuff, right? The, the basic vision is what goes in it comes out of it, right? I want you to picture this is your life. If I were to say to you right now, I know it sounds funny, but like, what's coming out of your pipe? I mean, let's, let's change the wording, it's just an illustration. What's really coming out of your life right now? You know, you can say, well, it depends on the time. Uh, is there joy coming out? Is there anger? Is there gratitude? Is there bitterness? Is there hope? I don't know. A number of years ago, I was asking some men this question that I have a chance to work with, and I said, look, why don't you ask three people this week how they experience you, like what's coming out of your life? And this one guy, Tony, interestingly, just called me a week and a half ago. I haven't seen him in like eight or nine years, and he wants to get together again. But the same guy, Tony, he goes, all right, goody, look, uh, I'll come back next week with the answer to those questions. And we were in a group of men that was like 120 dudes. So he comes back, and uh, we're about ready to end the meeting the next week, and he goes, I got my answers. I go. Really, you want to? He goes, yeah. So he sort of stands up in the back of the room. I go, well, Tony, who'd you ask? He goes, well, I asked um, a co-worker, one of my employees. and She thought I'm a pretty good guy. I go, yeah, and you're paying them too. He goes, yeah, that's true. And he goes, and I asked my daughter, my 14-year-old daughter. And she says, well, Dad, most of the time you're pretty good, except when you get mad, and you really scare me when you get mad. And then I asked my wife. And my wife said, That I was a pain in the ass, and she wanted a divorce. And they are divorced to this day. And here's the point. Everything that comes out doesn't just come out. If something comes out, it means something has to do what? Go in. And here's what we think. It just goes in and comes out. Goes in and comes out. No, it doesn't. When something goes in us, It actually goes someplace before it comes out. And how well it gets faced, dealt with, and processed determines what comes out. I'm going to say that one more time. This is wisdom. You're going to see this in the scriptures in a minute. We just think we live our lives and come out. Have you ever wondered, like, why certain things make you afraid or why you were resist certain people or why you have certain repeated habits or attitudes in your life and you just say, well, that's just who I am. Some of it's personality, but some of it's because there's some stuff that's gone in and it's lodged in there. And it didn't just go no place. It went someplace that we're going to define. And because it did, if you don't deal with it, trust me, and you don't face it, And you don't learn from it. We're going to talk about this tonight. I'm just going to give you this little thing. It's called a freeze point. Then what comes out of you is less than the best version of you. Does this clear? Does this make sense? Dallas Willard said it this way. He said that every one of us is becoming a certain kind of person. It's not if. It's just what kind of person are you becoming. In essence, formation is not optional. It's unavoidable. Every person is becoming a certain kind of person. And so, you know, when you read this verse, let, let's think about this for a minute. When you, uh, let's just say we go to camp or you're young, like, somebody meets the Lord, what's the first verse most people are taught? 2 Corinthians, 5. 2 Corinthians 5 17. Way to go, Alex. Here it is. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation, right? The old is past, the new is come. Is that true? Is it true? Yes. Here's the context of that verse, you ready? Let's start at verse 13, 2 Corinthians 5. Paul says this, for the love of Christ compels me. Woo! Compels me. You can say, catapults me. He says, For I'm convinced that one died for all, therefore all died. And this one, Jesus, died for all, so that those of us who live would no longer live for ourselves, but for him. Right? who died and rose again. It says, we no longer know Jesus in the flesh, though we knew him once that way. We know him thus no longer. And he basically says, so I don't look at any man according to what he is in the flesh. Because though we knew Jesus in the flesh, we know him that way no longer. In essence, you can know something about the people you work with that they don't even know. And that's this, that Jesus has died for them, that they are made to live for him, that their truest self is in him, whether they know it or not. And then Paul says, it's because all that's true, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. But the old is gone, the new has come. So let me ask you this. If that's true, do any of you in this room, along with me, are still struggle with the old crap? Let's shake it. Okay, look around the room. We can be honest here. Okay. Now, why is that? <laughs> if we're new, why do we struggle with the old? That's the greatest verse to give a person, and maybe one of the most dangerous ones if you don't interpret it for them. Because here's what often happens. It, we don't really in that help them understand that there is a reality that is true, 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 but that you're going into. So if my Betsy and I, you guys heard, we be married for we've been married like for forty-two years. Like that's a long time, right? Like I don't even remember what it's like to be single anymore. But I got married when I was twenty-two. April eighth. On April 9th. we've been married one day. I had been single twenty-two years, married one day. What do you think I was better at being, married or single? Say that louder. Single. But what was I? Married. married. Now, if I start living single when I'm actually married, bad idea. But where's what happened over the last 42 years? I have actually been growing into the identity that is actually what I am. So here's the thing. In Christ, you're actually new. And so it's learning to actually be what you are. But here's what often happens. People go through this, and they're like, new in Christ. Kid comes home, and like all his buddies didn't go, or her buddies didn't go, and they come home, and a couple of buddies call, hey, yo, man, Joe, we're going to get together tonight. Okay? And somebody brings a little booze, or maybe you're sleeping around your girlfriend or boyfriend before you left, and they come back, and they're thinking, man, it's been a long week. They're ready to do that again since you've been gone for a week. And you're thinking, no, I don't do that anymore. I'm new in Christ, and you're going, oh my gosh, I kind of still want to. And holy cow! And then one thing is, you know, done before you know it, you're doing what you did before, and drinking a little bit or something. Then you go to quote campaigners or you meet with your little small group, and you're there, act like you know, your little Boy Scout, Girl Scout. Hey, we're gonna go over our verses. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation, you're going. I don't. Okay, 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 okay. But I really kind of want this. But I'm like, whoa. And all of a sudden, you say, I'm just not good at this just not good at this god thing. I've seen so many people drop out, right? Have you ever seen anybody drop out? Like they've got the t-shirt that says young life, you know, Carolina, you know, hey young life frontier ranch. When we got him, I was in, I was great. What happened? Uh, here's what happened. Life happened. And you didn't have a framework to understand life when it happened. And see, this crazy thing happens that honestly, I told you last night, I think, how many, if we walk around, how many of you feel like God's a little disappointed in you sometimes? Like, think about that. Like, why? Now, let me ask you, do you think God was disappointed in you before you knew him? Here's what the scripture says. God demonstrates his love for us while we were yet what? Sinners. <laughs> think about that. And now, if you say yes to him, oh so I was going to ask you why do you think he's disappointed in you what did you not do that would make him be disappointed in you see this old scorecard welcome to America because see here's what happens you know when you're born you're not even out of the womb cleaned up yet and you get a score do you know that it's called an APGAR score you get to put in a percentile of the rest of the humanity based on size and weight right away then you get a little bigger and you keep getting those scores, and then you're a little dude, a little kid, and um, you know you start, you know, you go to kindergarten, and then you start going to school. and We have like super fast classes, sort of fast classes, regular classes. I was in those, and then you know you go to the playground. Some of the bigger dudes you get picked first. Some of us just wait and go like, I'll go last. I'll just wait over here because I'm little and I'm short and I'm not fast, so I'll just wait. You guys, I'll, I'll be the last one picked, right? Then you keep going. and You start playing sports teams. We have travel teams. We have rec teams. We have teams that you know that um, everybody gets a trophy because we don't want to make anybody feel bad. And then you you go to middle school. Like the worst place to go in middle school, right, is the locker room because we know this. Everybody's body's changing differently. I had a dude next to me in middle school. I swear that guy shaved from the moment he came out of the womb. Like this guy was crazy. I'm like, I'm not dressing next to that dude. Like there's not a chance, right? And then, you know, some people's bodies develop quicker than others, and others get invited to dances, or if you all go to the dance, some get asked to dance, and others just kind of stand there and, and don't. And then the worst day in high school for me was SATs. You know, they got scores, and everybody shared their scores. Hey, what'd you get on your SATs? I go, score? <laughs> what score? Score? I, got to, I applied. What college is you applying to? Literally the only one I can get in, University of Maryland, state school, I can get in. Then you know, like, if you get married now, you're like a freak if you're not married by the time you're 27, 28 years old. Some people get asked to prom, some don't. Like, it's all these little unconscious scorecards, right? Body type, weight, this, that, and the other. So then you meet the Lord, and you think, all that's gone away. We have our own scorecard. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. Too often, we act like what God cares about is like a big, massive behavior modification program. <laughs> the only reason to follow Jesus is to not do bad stuff. It's the solution to drinking, drugs, sleeping around, and alcohol, man. If we could just follow Jesus, man, that would be awesome. What if it, following God is not about behavior modification, it's about a dynamic encounter, somebody that actually wants to transform you at the very deepest of your being so that what comes out of you is actually meant to be what comes out of you. And it does so honestly. So see, the scriptures have a better way. Because what goes into us actually goes somewhere. It disappears, but it goes somewhere. And here's what I want you to see. Um, I'll get that in a minute. In the scriptures, there's this word called heart, called kardia, It's mentioned at least 878 times. Some think maybe up to 1,000. Now let me ask you, if something is mentioned 878 times, do you think it's important? It is mentioned, here's the adjectives. It can be hard. It can be kind. It can be lustful. It can be clean. It can be pure, it can be evil, it can be stubborn, it can be new. We treasure things in it. It's all these words. We can do it sometimes in one day, right? This is massive. Let me define it for you. When you think heart, most people equate our heart with our what? You think heart, this is what you do with your heart. With your brain, you do what? Think. Think. So what do you do with your heart? Feel. Feel. What if I told you that's very not the way it's fully understood. Here's what you need to understand about the heart. So Jesus said this in Mark chapter 2. Jesus, I think in Mark 2, 8, knowing what they were thinking in their heart. How do you think with your heart? Jesus, knowing what they were thinking in their heart, said, what? See, that's because we don't think the right way. Your heart isn't over here. Or it's right here. It's in your core. It's in the center. This is why we have to think like Hebrews. This is going to be a crazy thing I'm going to say to you next, but you need to know this. Jesus was not a Christian. Find anywhere in Scripture it says that. If you're following Jesus in this room, and I'll say I am, I'm actually following a first century Hebrew rabbi. Jesus never asked anybody to become a Christian. I know that might sound crazy. He never said that he was bringing Christianity. I'm not saying any of this is wrong, but I'm saying if we're following Jesus, why don't we use Jesus' words? I know some of that was later. I get to Christianity. The word Christians used two, three times in the New Testament. If you break it down, it means a Christ one or a little Christ. Jesus used words like this, believer, follower, disciple, which means student, that I'm actually going to live like the one I say I follow. This is why we live in a country, if you say to somebody, are you a Christian? They'd say yes, and you go, well, oh, that's awesome. You're a follower of Jesus? they go like, no. No. But are you a Christian? Yes. I mean, so you take your relationship with Jesus really seriously. Uh, no, not really. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God. Sometimes Christianity and the kingdom of God come together. A lot of times they don't. This is why you can go anywhere in the world to talk about the kingdom of God. You cannot go anywhere in the world to talk about Christianity. And so here's what I'm trying to tell us. If we're gonna understand wisdom and flourish, we gotta think and understand like the person we're following. So Jesus said, let's look at Mark chapter seven. This is huge. So here's it. I wanted to find the heart is your core. It's the center of your life. It is the place. Get this of convergence. It is in your body too, isn't it? What converges in your heart physically? Every ounce of blood you have in you, man, and it comes in forward. I mean, it's coming in and out and all around and ring ring. So imagine that your heart is a place where your will and your thoughts and your emotions and your desires all merge. It's a place of merger. And then we live out of it. Does that make sense? Tonight we're going to talk about how our heart is actually formed, spiritually speaking. But I just want to lay a basis. So Proverbs 4, then we're going to look at Matthew. Then we'll be done for the morning, because we have some seminars to do. But uh, Proverbs 4.23 says this, watch over your with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Alex, we'll show that picture tonight. Okay, we'll do that tonight. For out of it flow the springs of life. So in Matthew chapter seven, you know, so if you're going to think about where does this behavior, how come I'm angry, mad, bitter? Where did that come from? That what I said that like, whoa, that that would seem to be a little bit disproportionate to what went on, you know, um, or you. You see somebody in trapping giving somebody the bird, you know, you're thinking like, dude, what was that about? We get all jacked up about behavior, right? But here's what we never do. You're new in Christ, but I still want all Like, where did the behavior come from? So in Mark chapter 7, real, real quickly, Jesus and his disciples are out in the public arena. And um, they start eating without washing their hands. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are like really upset about this. And they basically ask Jesus, why do your disciples eat Without washing their hands and not and excuse me, why don't your disciples? And this is verse five. Why don't they live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with unclean hands? Interestingly, it's not what the scripture says. It's not that you couldn't eat with unclean hands, but they had taken this longing for purity and now made a, a, a sense of a, a new, heightened addition to the the real truth of God, and made it now it was almost became equal to the laws of God. Let me tell you this. The Pharisees, you started out really, really good. I think they get a lot of bad press sometimes. But, you know, they were serious about this thing to the point where they got lost in it. But they had something called the Toharoth laws, Tohoroth Laws. T-O-H-O-R-O-T-A Tohoroth. 200 pages. Of, these are cleanliness laws. Meaning they had laws about how to wash a pan. How you had to turn it upside down, how to wash your hands, your fingers, how far the water could run down your arm and still be considered clean. Like you talk about being tight. These dudes were tight. So here comes Jesus' guys. They go to Chick-fil-A, you know, and they go play in the playground, and they forget to use a pro hand cleaner, and they start eating. These guys are all jacked up about it. Jesus looks at him and he goes, Man, you guys honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And he goes down, just for the sake of time, in verse 14. He says, listen, everyone, and understand this, nothing outside of man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Jesus says, you're worried about all this behavior above the waterline. If you really care, you've got to go deeper. And then he says this. And after he had left the crowd, this is verse 17, he entered the house with his disciples, and asked. they asked him about this parable. Jesus said, Are you so dull? Or basically, don't you guys understand? Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his what? His core. It goes where? Into his what? And then what? Let's call it our internal plumbing system. It's like, hey, Pharisee, if you're really concerned about dirt, we got somebody that takes care of that. Like, that stuff's going to come out. Like, once a day, it kind of knocks on the door and says, time to go. But if you really cared about what you care about, let's go deeper. Jesus goes on and says this. Like basically, you're caring about dirt. I care about this. Then Jesus went on. What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's what? Hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, impurity, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, lewdness, woo, deceit, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. How different would the world be if we could get that stuff in, in line? Then he goes on to say, "All these things come from within and make a man unclean." So, where's behavior come from? Right here. Here's what. Let me give you an illustration. I draw this as often as I can. This is an iceberg. Okay. You know, you see 10 to 15 percent of an iceberg. This is what's visible. I don't know if you all can see it in the back, but imagine. This is behavior. This is what's public. This is what everybody sees. How much attention do you think this gets? About 85%, right? Imagine, most people think following Jesus is all about the bottom above the waterline. Now let me ask you, does behavior matter? Yes, of course it does. But if the whole goal is, if you want to live right and you're not considering anything below the waterline, you're in deep trouble because what sunk the Titanic? What they saw or what they didn't pay attention to? Huh? And pay attention to. So, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Behold, the old is gone, the new is gone. Most people hear that verse and they think, oh, i got to try harder. i got to stop doing the old stuff. And again, true, but what's going to actually motivate you in the long term? Here's what Jesus said. If you care, see, sexual morality, that's something you do with your body. But he says, that's not where it starts. It starts in here. Stealing stuff isn't what you do. It starts in here. Nobody's body goes and does something unless there's an internal motivation to go there, consciously or unconsciously. This is why the scriptures tell us if you really care about formation, you've got to look at this. Everything flows from here. In essence, the scriptures saying this, watch over your heart with all diligence because at some point, this thing's going public. Jesus said it another way, Luke chapter 6, real quickly. 43 to 46, he said this. You know, a grape tree doesn't produce thorns, nor does a thorn tree produce grapes. Each tree produces after its own kind. The good person or man, out of the good that's stored up in him brings forth in his heart, brings forth what is what? And the evil man, out of the evil stored up in his heart, brings forth what is what? Then he goes, and the mouth speaks from that, which fills the heart. We get all jacked up. Somebody's like, oh man, FQ, <laughs> and we go, man, what's up with that? We try to treat the behavior. No, no, it's coming from here. This thing, because here's what I talk about later. This heart, I don't know about you, but I grew up, I got some chips in it, and some holes, and some stuff that's beat up. And I am new in Christ. But what Jesus is saying is, you're new, but you're learning to be new. This is what sanctification means. It means that I learned to see myself and actually live the way Jesus sees me already. Let me put it to you in closing this way. 2 Corinthians 3.18 is a great verse. It says, but we, this is Moses comes down from the mountain, his face shows glory. He says, But we all, with unveiled faces, are being transformed from one image of glory to another. You know what that word transformed is? It's metamorphosis. Isn't that great? You know, who gets metamorphous when you think of little insects? You guys remember the of Who? A caterpillar. This is great. So I was sharing this one night, and this guy comes up to me and he goes, hey, you know, I know something about that illustration you don't know. I go, positive, that's true. He goes, hey, you know what the DNA of a caterpillar is? I go, I have a feeling you're going to tell me. He goes, the DNA of the caterpillar is this. I'm a butterfly. Caterpillar's DNA is, I'm a butterfly, but I don't look anything like it yet, but it's in me. And all I need is time to become what I actually am. Woo! So here's two ways to do this. You can do it the religious way, and forget your heart and keep trying harder and harder and harder to keep doing the right things. I'm going to quit doing this. I got to start doing this. And I'm not saying they're in a role for discipline. I'm disciplined. It's just where you're motivated. But if this is all about you and not about your connection to the vine, you're going to be frustrated. And at some point, I think you're going to say, tapping out. I'm not good at this. This is wearing me out. There ain't no joy in this. I'm done. But if you really want staying power up here, then it's gotta be because this has become healed enough so that what it's doing here is actually what it is down here. See, if this is you, it brings forth what it is. The good man, good, evil, evil. Mouth speaks from which fills the heart. Does this make sense? Yeah. See, this is wisdom. But most people don't get this. we you gotta stop doing that. Maybe we ought to say, "Do you ever consider why you're doing that? Where's that coming from? Like. What's with that? And I'll end with this statement, a quick little story. The counselor once told me, he says, Pat, people change to the degree that they know they are loved. He loves you. One of my favorite little stories I got out of a book called Tattoos of the Heart. Dr. Gregory Boyle wrote this. If you're looking for a fun little read, It's a great book. It's a little raw, but it's terrific. This guy has worked with gangs in L.A. for years. He's buried 148 gang members, Catholic priest. But he writes this little story in this book, true story. He says, my touchstone image of God comes by way of a friend of mine and my spiritual director, Bill Kane. Years ago, he took a break from his own ministry to care for his father as he died of cancer. Phil's father had become very frail, dependent on Bill to do for him all the things he used to do for himself. Though he wasn't physically what he had been, yet his mind was still alert, though his body was wasting away. So, in a role reversal common to adult children who then care for their dying parents, Bill would now go over to his dad's house and put him to bed and read him to sleep, exactly as Bill's father had done for him when Bill was a little boy. Bill would read from some novel, and his father would simply lie there staring at his son, smiling. Bill was exhausted from a day's care and work, and he'd plead with his dad, Dad, look, here's the deal. I read, you go to sleep, okay? Bill's father would impishly apologize and dutifully close his eyes. This wouldn't last long, because soon enough, Bill's father would just pop one eye open and smile at his son. Bill would catch him and whine, Dad, come on. You know how this is supposed to go. I read, you sleep. His father would again oblige until he just couldn't anymore, and the other eye would pop open and catch a glimpse of his son. This went on and on, and after his father's death, Bill knew that this evening ritual was really a story of a father who just couldn't take his eyes off his kid. How much more so, God, with you? Anthony DeMello writes, Behold the one beholding you and smiling wonder how many of us in this room really believe when God looks at you, He actually smiles. He's not putting up with you. He loves you. And the degree that that love gets to the very core of your being, you will actually become what you are. And you won't feel like there's three of you in there. of you in there and you won't feel like I gotta just keep working harder to get this thing right because see when my life gets overcome with love then I respond in love not because I have to because I want to even when I don't feel like it because I'm in love with the one who can't take his eyes off of me we're gonna talk more tonight about how this thing gets shaped because some of us are holding on to a lot of lies And you're dragging a lot of crap around that you don't need to. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for all that you have for us. Thank you for reality and truth. Now, Lord, lead us to the glory of your name. And we thank you again for such a beautiful, beautiful day and an incredible opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Midlands Young Life Podcast. If you enjoyed this talk, share it with a friend. Leave us a review. This helps other leaders find us and get access to all this awesome resources. Thanks so much.